All right, you're listening to Auto Catch Up. Uh, another week of automotive news has happened, and uh, this is your place to get your weekly recap of everything that's happening here in Australia, around the world, across uh, passenger cars, and also your motorsport. Um, this week, we're talking about a few different things. The Australian federal government um, basically brought out subsidies for electric vehicles for private buyers. Um, Apple and Hyundai um, has apparently had their, you know, their, their collaboration paused. Um, on their combined efforts on electric vehicle. Kia shows off the new Neuro EV at the Australian Open. The Audi e-tron GT leaks in photos ahead of its launch later this week. And um, Elon Musk talks about the, the the quality control and the lack of quality in their previous products. But to do that... Um, to talk about all everything that's been going on. I've got Joel Strickland at Joel Strick Photo here. How are you, Joel? Hi, Ash. How's your week been? Yeah, flat out. Uh, very busy week. Uh, did some photography with a driver that has announced that he's going from Australia to run at Pikes Peak. Ah, uh, exciting. This year. So Brett Dickey, uh, who is a Aussie driver that uh, people will know if they follow the World Time Attack event. Uh, Brett won... Uh, class there a couple of years ago um, and went over last year to try and uh, compete overseas but unfortunately due to COVID had uh, some issues with being up not to have the program he wanted but he has confirmed this week that he's going to run an S2000 um, at Pikes Peak so one of uh, a few select Australians that's ever, ever really competed at that event so that's pretty exciting for him so him and I did some PR photography for him during the week and then I got to go to a racetrack, which was the first time in a long time. So I got to spend uh, a day at Phillip Island. Um, the a few select supercar teams decided that they were going to run a, um, a ride day for uh, customers and sponsors and and that at the island. So um, yeah, there was a, a bunch of um, cars uh, circulating at the track. So down there for an early start. During the week, um, all three Tickford cars were running. Uh, both the Walkinshaw cars were running. Um, we got first look at the uh, David Reynolds in a in a Mustang. Uh, both the Kelly Groves cars were running, and then uh, Tim Blanchard's team, the Cool Drive Auto Parts, with Tim Slade behind the wheel, got out in their new Mustang as well. So uh, that was uh, it was pretty cool to, to see. It was a beautiful day down there. Um, just absolutely perfect conditions to uh, to go and uh, photograph some supercars and, and that noise. It was so good to hear um, some V8s burning around a track and uh, to capture some images. So, yeah, they've all uh, all gone up onto over to the team over at Speed Cafe. Um, so there's a big gallery there that from, from during the week. But, yeah, that was pretty cool to, to see some really good liveries this year. Uh, some of the guys have gone out um, in a massive way and, and really got some great-looking liveries. So, um, obviously, Penrite, we, as we've discussed, has moved from uh, Erebus with Davey Reynolds across to Kelly Groves, uh, and that is a stunning-looking car, um, Andre's car, who he wasn't driving. Uh, actually, Rick Kelly got behind the wheel of Andre's car to drive because Andre still has a broken thumb after injuring it at a race in New Zealand. So he was uh, Rick was out in the Ned-backed uh, Mustang, uh, and then obviously we've got the uh, truck assist uh, of Jack LeBrock's Mustang now over at Tickford. Um, Cam Waters had his traditional monster black livery on his Mustang at Tickford. And then James Courtney has a re-done um, boost mobile livery on his Mustang over at Tickford. Uh, but one of the coolest things of the day, Chaz was running around in his um, appliances online car, which was unveiled recently. But um, Bryce... Uh, 
actually had a split livery. It was a bit like a two-faced from Batman, you could almost say. One side was his MIDI sponsorship and the other side was an appliances online sponsorship. So <laughs> yeah, that's cool. That was pretty cool. So they'd done that, but obviously as a, as a ride car for during the day because mm-hmm. um, obviously um, the other co-drivers were, were there driving for the guys. So mm-hmm. um, I did see Lee Holsworth walking around and he was obviously he's obviously driving for, for Walkinshaw this year and... Um, Oh, mental blank um, who, uh, for the other Walkinshaw driver that was that was on site. Um, but the other big news that was revealed while I was down there was that Luke Yorden has returned to drive with Davey Reynolds um, over at Kelly Groves. So that was pretty cool. I saw Luke when I arrived and um, and yeah, the announced the the noise the the by the time uh, it was unveiled, which was sort of middle of the morning, he changed mm. shirts into a Penrite shirt. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that was cool to see. Um, Warren Luff was who I was thinking of at WAU, so he was mm-hmm. also there driving around for the team. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a good day. Um, good to see a whole different bunch of drivers, um, you know, floating around. Um, with the teams and obviously helping them out and and yeah obviously getting a lot of the guys are getting their first uh, test of the car so Tim Slade obviously having his first drive um, of the Cool Drive Mustang um, and then obviously um, Davey Reynolds having his first drive of Ford in in the first time in a long time after being a Holden man in the last few years so um, yeah that was uh, so that was pretty exciting to to be down there and to watch the the guys run around and just to hear that obviously wonderful noise so um, yeah, yeah, and it's so lucky that the weather was good. Normally down yeah. Phillip Island, it's really you know, you've got to be really lucky to have a spectacular day. So they're glad it um, certainly worked out uh, for for all the excitement that was going on. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty cool. Um, you know, it was a big day. Obviously, as I said, it was a ride day uh, predominantly, and there was a massive crowd there. Um, I think some of the biggest lines I saw was at uh, at Kelly Groves. So um, yeah, right. that's great for them to obviously have a lot of their. Um, Supporters and sponsors down there, obviously having a having a, a ride in the car, and uh, yeah, it was um, it was a busy day, but yeah, the weather was absolutely perfect, just uh, yeah. just stunning. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, this week uh, wasn't as exciting as perhaps yours was, um, but I was getting around in in the MG ZS EV. Um, so this is technically, I think it, you know, it's 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 been uh, been put as Australia's first um, or cheapest electric vehicle um, coming in at just over well I think it's about forty three thousand dollars drive away or just um forty nine ninety is at the list price um, so it makes it a pretty uh, pretty interesting thing because the next cheapest car obviously is the Nissan Leaf it's a bit smaller it's um, a, gets about the same range so on on paper the MG M- MG ZS EV gets so they, they claim about 320 kilometers out of a single charge, um, but in re, in reality, it um, you know you you drive away in a full charge with it claiming about 250 on uh, on the dash. So and and it very seems very much pretty pretty accurate. Um, every time I went to charge, I was getting about or you know when I added up what I was driving, how much I had left, it was still equaling about that original number that I had. Um, it just recently came out with a updated five-star ANCAP rating, which is obviously a great thing. It's got tons of tech, but not as heavily loaded as, say, the ZST 
that I was driving last week, even though it, it sits along the same uh, trim level in terms of um, levels of spec. Um, but you don't get the uh, the 360 camera to review uh, view or um, a handful of other bits and pieces, such as the electronic or did fully digital dash. Um, and you can see what, why they've done that to, to bring that price point down to make the um, the electric drivetrain a bit more affordable. Otherwise, I could see that being another couple thousand dollars on top to make sure that those all of those other features are also included. Um, and they're not necessarily things that you really miss. Like it's not harming the overall driving experience at all. It, it, it's got plenty of zip and go. Um, the it, it's it's a pretty solid car, pretty surprising, and it's probably the first one where, um, usually in a lot of other EVs, they they load up on the premium features to to justify the price point. Where MG have gone the other way and said we're we're adding some of the nicer things, but we're not going too far because we really want to hit a particular price point. So there isn't any fancy audio. There isn't um, you know, you still have your keyless entry, but it just it it doesn't go over the top just to make sure that it. Can hit um, that price point and I think it for what it is with 250 k's of range it's on the it's on the shorter end but it's not obviously um, too terrible because you can manage a 250 kilometer range um, pretty pretty easily um, you do have the ability to plug into a normal wall charger or you can charge up to 50 kilowatts at a fast charging station because um, it supports the the CCS type 2 plug um, so that means that like I took a car which was down to 10% um, of range and I was able to top it up to, to 100% in, uh, in about an hour. Um, and they claim that you can get from 0 to 80% um, in about 40 minutes. So it sort of lives up to that. And... Um, yeah, which, which is perfectly manageable. That's something where you can go and do the shopping and then come back and have a, a full car, um, which means, you know, you can sort of start off and, and starts to take away that, that question of uh, range anxiety. It's not as far as I'd like it to be, but it's certainly a lot more manageable than um, some other cars that we've had in the past. Yeah, it's, uh, it's exciting technology for you know, MG to be able to have that model and to be able to, you know, bring it to market. Um, and, you know, they're a growing company. So I can, you know, as you said, the range is not brilliant, but it is a small car. So it's just not really designed to be driving uh, in terms of, you know, I think people will be using it for city commutes and stuff like that. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, and just having a conversation with someone I know today, um, they were talking about they've, uh, they're selling their, you know, selling their normal petrol driven car to buy a electric car uh, yeah. and I said well you know what's your setup for charging I don't, don't think you've got a charger at home have you mm. no I'm going to charge at work for free yeah. um, you know work's obviously got a charger set up and stuff like that so he was going to do that so I think well that that works and if you've got the ability if you're you know working in an area where there are car, you know electric chargers and stuff available and you can charge on your um, on your you know drive uh, during during your day you can literally if you're going to be there all day you can literally mm. sit there and charge so um, yeah I think it's it's an exciting model for them they're growing I think we'll see the change in range obviously change and, and yeah I'm excited to see what else they do down the track 
Yeah, and this is exactly, I think, uh, the point where, you know, we were talking about MG last week, is that there's so many more steps ahead of where other manufacturers were at when they were emerging onto the market or re-emerging onto the market. So, um, you know, this select, this EV is pretty early on um, in sort of the brand age in this, you know, under new ownership um, and sort of being away from the market for a number of years. And so it, um, you know, it's certainly pretty good. I've got a, I've got a friend of mine who is on the hunt for a car. They've just started working um, a little bit further away. They no longer take public transport to travel into the CBD. They're now traveling to um, another city uh, each day. So you've got a fairly solid, you know, commute of about an hour. And um, now the, the, the thing in their head is going, well, do I go to a hybrid or do I find an EV and, and how do I balance the cost and, and things like that? And, and unfortunately, I didn't get to catch up with him this week. But the thing is, is that I think the MG would actually fit in quite well because with the Ranger 250, you can get a couple of days of commuting. Um, you can plug in pretty much most charging locations and if you've got to plug at home that will give you you know overnight that will top you up to a certain degree and um yeah it's certainly uh it, it's it's not bad it, it's it's just missing um cooled seats it does have heated seats but in uh in queensland particularly with that stargazing roof it would be really nice to have some cooled seats i wouldn't expect um, it for the price though i think you no, know I've, i think that's the thing you've got to expect something to be missing from from, exactly. from it for the yeah. price and you know if that's what it's missing so be it but you know yeah. it's not the I don't think that's a bad thing <laughs> it just gets really hot uh, if it's sitting outside that's but that's um, that's kind of a it's not a terrible complaint at all um, with all the other things in the price point considered um, but let's dive into our, uh, our major news of the week so the first one was uh, the Australian Federal Government um, they had a a uh, 40-page future fuel strategy discussion paper that came out. So it's part of the Australia's um, Electric Vehicle Council, and um, a lot of a lot of the industry is coming back a bit disappointed by it because the essential. Um, uh, Really, there's no no plan at the moment to to help support or subsidise the ownership or pathway to ownership for private buyers, um, where. The paper sort of outlines saying that the um, the uptake in, in fleet vehicles can help all Australians become more familiar with new technologies. For instance, many Australians' first experience with a hybrid vehicle was in a taxi or a company vehicle, and they're now becoming increasingly popular with private purchases. Um, fleet purchasing could also stimulate the secondhand market for new vehicle technologies. Businesses generally replace vehicles on a more regular basis than private buyers, which in turn provides a supply of vehicles to the secondhand market at lower prices. Now, saying that, I, I can I can see where they're coming from when it comes to this, but again, it's kind of disappointing to see that there's no potential sort of exploration of how, um, you know, to to stimulate the private economy at the moment, particularly when. Um, maybe the argument could be made that businesses are actually having their people on the road less and doing more online because of, you know, the businesses had and how they've changed since COVID. And, um, you know, so that the need for businesses to be purchasing larger fleets at the moment has potentially gone down. And also the thing is a lot of the um, fleet, typical fleet vehicles that we do see at the moment um aren't available in an you know an electric vehicle form. It's only you know things like uh, 
the the mining companies, you know, building their own electric 70 series in conjunction in partnership with another company um, that are pushing those things. But that's not necessarily a, a you know, a, a consumer good in that same way. Yeah, it's an interesting move. I'm surprised that uh, they haven't decided to go down that route. But, like, you know, what are they going to do to try and support this? You know, are we going to see them maybe looking at trying to put in some more, you know, supporting more of the charger network and stuff like that to, yeah. to be able to do it? But, yeah, it's, it's an interesting move and I'll be interested to see, um, you know, what the sort of fallout is from terms mm. of what the car manufacturers and that think, particularly... Um, you know, with so many other countries around the world, particularly, you know, the US and, and Europe, you know, moving away from petrol and diesel and moving towards electric. If obviously I can't foresee our government anytime soon deciding mm. they're going to go down that route if they're not going to support, um, yeah. you know, this, um, you know, this future of cars, if that's the way they're going to mm. do it. So, mm. yeah, oh, I'm sorry, step. it was the, it was the, the paper is the future fuel strategy released by the government and the, um, the electric. Uh, vehicle council is one who responded saying that it's very disappointing. So Tony Weber, who's the chief executive of um, the FCAI, said that you know he believes the paper represented a step in the right direction, which I kind of agree with. Um, but then obviously uh, Bayard Jafari, the chief executive of the, the Electric Vehicle Council, said that you know obviously it is very disappointing. The paper effectively says the government should just do nothing. As a result, that's exactly what will happen. Um, every other major country sub electric vehicles so it's pretty shocking the minister seems to think he knows better and it's everyone else who is wrong now this isn't necessarily the first time we'll see um industry and uh and the government sort of disagree we saw this uh, in a similar way with the nbn and the technology choices there and um that's been sort of a mixed bag uh, from the from the very beginning, unfortunately, and um, hopefully this, you know, we don't we don't get down to that same um, path here where um, it's a lot of it's a lot of push from certain areas, but not the not the key support that's needed um, to to have this happen because it is even as you know with driving the MG uh, this week the the experience still is is that there's not enough charges there's the, the number of charges are growing but there's just not a real explosion of them um, that, you know, kind of matches the enthusiasm for the EVs. And um, obviously, you know, when VFAX are showing, it's a steady increase, but it's not, you know, it's not going gangbusters. And, and still, it's, it's, it's still, we're at the point where a $43,000 car is the cheapest pathway into an EV at the moment in terms of a new car. So we still have some barriers to entry um, for people. And um, yeah, we've got a little bit, a little bit more to go. And um, it seems like at the moment uh, that that key support won't be there for now. Yeah, there's nowhere near enough charges around, and that's the thing. Is there's a, there was a report that I saw recently that talked about the number of states, and you know, particularly up your way and in and in some of the smaller states, there's nowhere near enough for the number of cars that are slowly starting to grow. So, you know, until that is really fixed, then it's going to be hard to really even con, uh, attempt to contend with being able to get people to support you know electric cars. Yeah, exactly. So Apple, um, rumors have been going around for for quite a long time that they've been 
working on their own electric vehicle and um, that project was supposedly shelved and then uh, recently the the rumours fired up again and um, uh, last week or last couple of weeks uh, Hyundai came out and said that they're working and collaborating with Apple um, or working together on, on how to achieve that potentially as a similar to what they do with the iPhones where they design it but then um, you know uh, another person manufactures it so they do that with the iPhones and other things where Foxconn um, assembles the phones and uh, produces and essentially gets them ready for market but Apple does the design hence the designed in California made in China um, tag that you normally see when you open the product for an Apple vehicle or Apple product um, but what what was interesting is that when uh, obviously when Hyundai said that they were working with Apple um, their shares went up uh, obviously that, that spurred on quite a lot of excitement but um, in typical Apple fashion um, if you tend to jump the jump the gun on talking about what you're working on with Apple you tend to sort of get things cancelled and um, and Apple won't work with you again because you know obviously it's um it, it's part of the agreement if you're working with them um, that you keep things on the download um, we've seen this happen in a number of different other industries which they've launched products and um, yeah so this is a this is an interesting one. So the the, the work is currently paused, probably to, to work through that. Um, but it does make sense that Hyundai and um, and and Kia would be working with Apple because they've got a fairly robust range of electric vehicles. They're spending billions of dollars on um, on their research and development on the electron uh, on on the uh, electric motor technology. Um, and so if Apple's looking for someone to partner with to produce their own vehicle, um, it makes sense that they'll go to Hyundai and Kia because they know how to do it um, and, and they're building pretty good EV products at the moment. Yeah, it's an interesting move and it's interesting that the story came out and like you said, you know, all of a sudden everyone's sort of t- talking different ways and denying and whatever else and one of those things. But yeah, it's, a, it's interesting to see that it's progressed this far. Um, yeah, the, the brands are actually going down their route, and there's a bit of infighting on which one, either Hyundai or Kia, is going to supply that supply the vehicle, um, you know, for them. So yeah, I think it'll be uh, interesting to follow to see where it goes. Yeah, and I think it. Um, this is the similar, or this is the alternate strategy, say, to what Tesla has been doing, where they've designed the vehicles, build the vehicles, and. And, and have all of those challenges that are associated where if you can design and develop the technology or, you know, basically create the spec of what you want and then shop around to other car makers and saying, well, do you want a slice of this um, if you build it for us? I think I think that's a great pathway for Apple if we think about them building a product for, for the market. It just makes sense that way because it's going to be more cost-effective for them. It allows them to to essentially skip all of the growing pains that are associated with ramping up vehicle production. Um, and as long as you pick the right partner that is experienced enough, such as Hyundai, and we've seen the quality which they've built, such as in the, the Genesis products. So they definitely, even when it comes to, to building a premium product, they're getting a lot better at that and they're showing that they've got the experience in that. So I'm not surprised that they're talking to, to them. Um, I think it probably... I'm sure there's been talks with BMW as well, um, even though their technology perhaps isn't as far along um, the road compared to Hyundai, given that Apple and BMW have always somewhat worked closely in the past. Um, But yeah, so they're really... uh 
Yeah, this is this is interesting. This will this will be an interesting one to to see. We're seeing, you know, people are saying 2024, 2025 um, for a potential uh, window. But yeah, this is a big move for Apple as well, and um, it's going to be very interesting to see uh, who who or if. Um, one of the big car makers like Hyundai or Kia uh, end up being them, you know, their manufacturing partner. Yeah, exactly. It'll be interesting to watch. Okay. Um, speaking of Kia on this side, um, obviously as the Australian Open ramps up, Kia have been a very long time Australian Open sponsor and um, have in the, have in the past provided vehicles to transport players from their hotels to their matches as well as particular fans um, you know through through offering public rides and this is a great PR thing for them it's a great way to get in front of a lot of people on a global scale given that Kia is a global brand um, and, and this year obviously is no different even though the there is a, a few more restrictions with COVID-19, uh, but Kia have uh, obviously not missed the opportunity to showcase the new logo, um, which is which I, I kind of like it, as well as the new um, Nero EV. Um, so they're using this as a chance to, to launch it. Last year, they you know the hero car for Kia was the Celtos, um, and uh, but yeah, this is an inter- interesting way and, and a pretty clever way to to launch a, an electric vehicle. Yeah, it's good timing for them, I think, to, to release it. Um, and like you said, they've done it in the past with other models. And yeah, I think it's an interesting model. And I think it'll be one of those that, that could generate a bit of interest for people, um, particularly now, you know, the electric um, is sort of more the forefront of people's minds now with some yeah. conversations, like we said, are happening around in other parts of the world and more models are coming into the range. question mm-hmm. is, where will it sit in price? Uh, in the exactly. Market? Um, but yeah, I think it, it's good branding for for Kia to to showcase this model and obviously have a good activation for people that are passing through uh, to be able to find out more about the car. Yeah, so pricing wise, so it's available in the US at the moment. Um, it's interesting. It looks in the hero color in in the US. It kind of looks a little bit like a, a Ford Mach E um, crossed with a like a Sportage. Um, but in terms of uh, range, so in the US, it's thirty nine thousand um, dollars US, um, which is probably what's that about fifty thousand ish here. Um, in Australian dollars, and it has a 239-mile range, which works out to be about 384 kilometers. So this will be interesting. If Kia can hit that mark, so if it just translated, we just translated over pricing, and they can get it for 50000 with a 380 or 300, let's say, 350-kilometer range, um, it, it will make a lot of sense in the little hierarchy of electric vehicles or little SUVs that we've got. So if we think about the, the ZS EV from MG, that's the low 40s for, you know, 250-ish kilometers. Um, and then we step up another 10 grand, you've got the Nero EV. And then you step up another 10,000, you've got the Kona EV, which has an even bigger range. Um, that's a pretty decent sort of, you know, that, that offers some really good, it, it sort of shows that that is a, not a bad hierarchy for electric SUVs. Yeah, exactly. And it's priced well and rank, good range within that sort of start point, if that's where it's going to be, obviously, be for yeah. them yeah. Um, to go against, you know, like the Kona and even the MG. So um, mm. it certainly would shake up the market in that, um, in that entry point. 
Yeah, and um, yeah, again, really clever of Kia to to get a, a brand new car in front of this this many people um, this way. It's uh, not very often you're able to you know have a, a captive market when you're launching a new vehicle like this. Um, but obviously, lucky they've got the new Carnival um, launching uh, late last year, so that obviously makes a great fleet vehicle as well for the Australian Open, um, and uh, not a bad way to showcase that vehicle given its prominence in the people moving market. But another EV. Uh, so this one's a bit more exciting. This is the 2021 Audi e-tron GT. Um, it is a you know, as the e-tron name suggests, electric car. And um, it is, I would say, a Porsche Taycan version, you know, Audi version of that in a way. Um, when you look at it, I, f- I find a lot of similarities between that. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's a bit of um, sharing of technology and components between sort of the brethren of Audi and Porsche. Um, but this is going to be fully revealed on February 9. Um, but yeah, but these images have leaked out early and um, yeah, they're saying it's a basically shares that, you know, shares a lot of, infam- you know, uh, sorry, a lot of performance with uh, some of its other brethren. But yeah, 440 kilowatts, 830 newton meters of um, torque out of the electric system, um, 0, 103.5 seconds. Um, and with that overboost, mode which they're calling which jumps up the power to 475 kilowatts of power um so it does sort of set to go head to head with tesla's model s plaid and plaid plus models which are very similar in 0 100 times 0 103.2 but all the plaid plus which is less than two seconds um but i think this looks quite quite nice we're expecting pricing about one hundred eighty thousand dollars before you're on roads um where meanwhile the model s plaid starts about 215 so it should be fairly competitive price wise um but yeah i i quite like the look of this and um you know if that's a one way to get into a you know a performance uh, electric vehicle I, i like it yeah, it's like you say, it does have a little bit of take on about it, but uh, it's definitely got the the Audi family look to it with the front and the rear end with the the light clusters and and the rear taillight set up and and things like that, and obviously the the Audi, the, definitely the Audi look to it. So yeah, um, we'll obviously talk about it probably on next week's show because it's it'll be released uh, during the during the week. But yeah, yeah, it um, it's exciting to see that. But yeah, it's it's finally coming, um, and yeah, it, to to take it to anything that takes it to Tesla, I think is a, is a, is good for the market. Absolutely, and um, you know, Elon Elon Musk, we've, we've spoken about it a little bit, and um, if you look online, it doesn't you don't have to go very far to you know to to find critical comments about it. But um, Elon Elon Musk did admit to, you know, perhaps the the quality controls in, in their models so far haven't been the best, um, but they're obviously but they're taking steps to to improve that, um, and it makes sense when you've got to compete against things like Audi, um, in a in a similar price point, that quality expectation is going to be there absolutely. Um, you know, if you're spending two hundred and fifteen or you know three hundred thousand dollars on the top model for a for a vehicle, you're going to expect um, great panel alignment and you know things just don't fall out or you know general just things that shouldn't be there for for a production vehicle um but it but it is good to to see that 
you know that the the quality they do understand that there are quality issues and that they're taking steps to to improve that and understand that you know they're not living in a total uh, reality distortion field and even you know talking you know with um you know with someone who was so critical of this um which was Sandy Munro. So, yeah, I think this is excellent and, you know, it shows that potentially the the company is making an effort to, to improve these things. Yeah, exactly. And he's, you know, at least he admits it, he understands it, there is a problem and, and a lot of people that have bought um, Teslas will, you know, say agree with that. But, yeah, at least, you know, they're saying and they admit it that it has been a problem. They are trying to fix it with the ramp up and stuff like anything like that. It, yeah. it is hard when you're trying to ramp up production of these things mm. and trying to mm. trying to build the number of cars he's trying to build. Something he's going to give and, yeah, and the build quality mm. is one of those things. It, and it is weird that you hear a, um, a, a CEO of a company um, basically saying that, look, uh, you know, expressing that it's best to buy a Tesla once production levels reach a steady state. Um, it took us a while to iron out production presses, especially during production ramp up. When friends ask me when should I buy a Tesla, I say you should either buy it right at the beginning or when production reaches a steady state. During production ramp up, it's super hard to be in vertical climb mode and get everything right on all the little details. So if you really want all the things to be dialed in, it's either very early cars or once production has leveled off, that's when things are going to be best. Um, Normally, that's not something that you'll get a CEO admitting or at least recommending that, yeah, don't buy, um, you know, be, be as early as you can or, you know, let it sit for, I don't know, how long would be a, ready, a steady state? A year? 18 months? How, how long is this? What's a steady state? Yeah, it's hard to say really. Um, but, yeah, so that's um, that's an interesting read. You should jump on and um, read the article or even uh, in in the link we'll have the, the one-on-one interview on YouTube. It's it's certainly worth the watch um, to, to hear that discussion because it's, it's also not something that we... Uh, you know, you get that insight very often from uh, a CEO of a of a company. Um, but let's let's jump across motorsport. Um, so this was an interesting thing. So Russia is facing a bit of a you know um, a bit of an interesting crisis at the moment. So Russian athletes across all pretty much all sports um, are banned from representing Russia. As um, you know, racing under the 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 Russian flag or celebrating with the Russian anthem, um, and this comes across to Formula One as well, where Russian drivers will have to race under a neutral flag for the next two seasons, as a result of the country being banned from international sport. Um, so, such as Nikita Mazepin, which isn't the favourite. Um, driver in the Formula One paddock this year um, won't be able to race under his Russian flag and um, you know and it's one of several restrictions imposed on on the drivers so but what is interesting is that obviously we do have the the Russian Grand Prix scheduled in September at the moment and this is a bit of a funny thing. So Russia's banned from international sport, but we still, at the moment, will be visiting Russia to to host a sport, a major sporting event there. Yeah, it's interesting uh, move. And just reading through the restrictions of what they are, they can't refer to Russia or Russian or anything in that. And so drivers 
have to be you know, no no country and and if they happen to you know win an event in the motorsport thing, their anthem cannot be played um, at on the podium. So it's a very interesting uh, move. And then obviously, like we were discussing pre-show, uh, what happens with um, the Russian Grand Prix? Yeah, so they do say that. Um... Yeah, the, the band extends to playing um, of the anthem during the pre-race build-up, which we normally see. and um, But spectators will be allowed to, to wave Russian flags. So I expect we'll see quite a lot there um, if uh, the, you know their presence in international sport is somewhat uh, reduced. Um, but yeah, so the decision will apply not just to Formula 1, but also the WRC, WEC, Formula E, and other international racing events. But um, yeah, this is going to be another not a major spanner but um a, a spanner nonetheless in the works for formula one adding another headache to organizers i'm sure yeah exactly sort of makes <laughs> it very interesting for them that's right okay supercars um rules for this year for tire and fuel will be tweaked um so this is an interesting one um so basically mixed tire compound races have been scrapped um and the minimum fuel drop for 250 kilometer races has been reduced by 20 liters so that now the minimum fuel drop for 2021 is 120 liters um so what what do you think this is going to change for for teams and, and drivers uh, it's, it's going to be interesting because the change really only affects the, the Mount Panorama 500, Townsville, and Surface Paradise. Um, no mixed compound races for 2021, which is kind of... Uh, it was interesting. There was a couple of races that made that interesting um, yeah. during the year. But, uh, yeah, I think it's all about sort of just spicing up the racing, really, mm-hmm. um, to generate some, some interest. So, um, yeah, I think it'll be... Uh, interesting to see, you know, what it does and, and how it, you know, with a with an interesting season we're already going into with, you know, people in new cars and and uh, new teams, you know, just mm-hmm. to to add a little bit of another, you know, sort of interesting step up. It's uh, it's quite interesting. Um, the other interesting thing to come out during the week is that they're expecting the new Gen Three prototypes to make a debut on track um, midway through the year. Um, so that'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see when we actually see the first car build. If they're going to debut middle of the year, that's only sort of four months away. Mm. Um, so I'm intrigued to see when we'll see our first built car, whether it be one of the new Mustangs or one of the new Camaros. Um, so that was interesting to see that come through during the week. Um, the other interesting news that I saw that appeared during the week, uh, which is weird that it's appearing now, but it's more aimed for next year, is that supercars are going to put the two remaining um, racing entitlement contracts or wrecks up for sale, um, mm-hmm. put them back up for offer. So we could see a 26-car grid next season. Um, it's interesting because Tickford did want to buy one at the start of this year, but um, supercars, you know, uh, the other teams wouldn't wouldn't allow it, which is a, a shame because it would have been nice to see another at least one more car on the on the on the grid. But yeah, mm. so there'll be two more possibly available um, for the start of next season. So that could be very interesting. Obviously, with the Gen Three cars coming next year, I think it'll be uh, interesting to see to have we have more of those. So probably good timing that it's been announced now. So anyone that wants to look at buying those t-rex has time to obviously build an extra car um yeah because obviously it's going to demand so i wouldn't be wouldn't be surprised if one of those probably goes to tickford um 
and yeah, to see what happens um, in regards to that. And then who knows what else. But the other really big news of the week, and probably we should have mentioned at the start, was that Jamie Winkup has announced that he will retire at the end of this year. Mm, that's right, yeah. I Roland Dane <laughs> will um, step down as head of Triple Eight, uh, and Jamie will step up and actually take over that uh, that role. So, you know, I think um, the phone will be running pretty hot at Triple Eight for this year. Everyone will be out to try and impress because. That seat next to Shane Van Gisbergen will be probably one of the most sought-after seats on the grid next year. So there's some interesting it's, talk. It's, it's essentially the um, as if a uh, Formula uh, Mercedes seat came up, isn't it? Pretty much. <laughs> um, yeah. It's a it's a hell of a team to be part of, and I think this is um, it's going to be big step up for for him as well going to that leadership role mm. because it is a, a a totally different type of role which he's had. You know, in the team, but he's been, a, he's been a shareholder of the team for a while. The other thing yeah. is that Roland's interest in the team will reduce, um, yeah. and Tony Quinn has bought into the team. The uh, the Queensland businessman or original Kiwi business um, businessman um, has bought into the team, so he will be a heavier shareholder. And um, Roland's daughter Jess will also increase her involvement in the team. Uh, so that will make it a very very interesting team to watch but the rumours are already abound there's talk that maybe Garth Tander might take the seat young gun Brock Feeney who's driving um, Super 2 for Triple Eight this year um, possibly could be um, there's a lot of guys under contract but we know now after watching what happens with David Reynolds contracts don't can be broken yes um, so I think it'll be a very interesting off season um or silly season towards the, the latter half of the year as everything starts happening. But, mm. um, you know, our first event is this month. Um, it'll be interesting to see where it all um, lands and, and mm-hmm. how people come out of the box to start the year. Um, so, yeah, it'll be it'll be very interesting to see what happens in terms of that. But, yeah, it's exciting times ahead. The other interesting thing that it also came out of um, my trip to – to Phillip Island during the week was that they've moved drivers' names um, or trialling drivers' names to the front windscreen of the cars, which I think is oh. a pretty pretty cool idea. So yeah, um, it, it with the liveries being so different amongst teams, it's not a hard thing to really pick what it is um, because you know, obviously certain teams obviously have different colours and stuff like that. But yeah, it's yeah. cool to see that they've moved the the names onto the onto the front windscreen. Well, it's probably it's probably good for more casual um, viewers of mm. of the sport who might have. Uh, I find that V8 super, or supercars has um, quite a good cut through with general people for drivers' names more than specific teams. And so with the exception of Triple Eight and things like that. But um, I think adding the the names to the front of the cars will help people. I think probably, yeah, more of those casual casual viewers of the sport or even international viewers of the sport who, because we do tend to have um, a fairly high caliber of drivers that do end up having um, careers overseas or, or in between will do GT3 racing and things like that that so it helps probably you know bring together a little bit of um you know and making that a little bit easier for the casual viewer to to enjoy and under, understand who who's who out on the track uh, without needing to remember the numbers or teams specifically but yeah, it'll, yeah. it makes for uh, you know just changing it up and allowing for for the better viewing so um, and just finishing out of supercars, but talking about an ex-supercar driver, um, Scotty McLaughlin had his first chance to drive his new car this week, um, and yeah, he got to drive at Sebring in his um, in his Dallara. 
IR18, which backed by Chevy, and his new look. Uh, it's now a new cool blue um, with the being sponsored by PPG Paint Company. Um, and yeah, it's cool to see him in a, in a slightly different color. It looks a little bit, it's probably a little bit lighter, but it's a it's a similar blue to the the Polestar Volvo he used to drive. Yeah, but, um, yeah it's good to see Scotty, um, you know, having uh, having his first test um, and you know getting a chance to. Um, he was, you know. He, he it gives him a chance to really get a feel before he starts into the to the main part of the season. Yeah, and so this was interesting. I, I didn't know that Ferrari was exploring, but I know that a number of other manufacturers had been looking at other industry, um, other racing series. But Ferrari have elected to not enter IndyCar series as an engine supplier. Um, obviously, with the introduction of the. Uh, you know, the budgets or, you know, the, the spending caps in Formula One, there's a lot of um, resources and a lot of uh, personnel that's available, you know, will be made available due to that. And so um, these companies are looking at other ways to utilize that expertise in other areas to expand the, you know, obviously expand the brand, expand um, the earning potential, you know, the re- recovery on um, their investment without, and also, you know, avoiding needing to, to let all of these you know, highly specialized people go because they can't include them part of that spending cap. Um, but in the meantime, uh, Mattia Bonotto has decided, you know, basically gave a indication that, look, after discussions, we came to the conclusion that we'll not be entering IndyCar anytime soon. It might be possible in the medium and long term, but today we want to concentrate our investments on Formula One involvement. And I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, um, disagree with him there where i think uh, for, uh ferrari are probably not in the best spot to be expanding into other other manufacturing um or other engine supply uh categories simply because there is you know they've got a lot of work to do on the formula one side at the moment and um, it's probably best just to have that that focus on there at least for the next couple of years position particularly when um you know the the new regs are coming in next year. Yeah, there was talk for a while that they're going to try and come in because they're trying to bring in a third, a third manufacturer. The last one they had was yeah. Lotus way back in 2012. Um, but the the thing is, is with them switching to a more hybrid um, system, it, it opens the door for people like Ferrari um, and other teams to come in that mm. have had that experience in Formula Formula One. So, yeah. Um, and the other bit of IndyCar news is that Roman Grosjean has ended up at uh, driving in um, IndyCar next year. He won't do some of the super speedways. Um, yeah, the oval came, tracks, yeah. came out during the week saying that his kids have uh, begged him not to go back to racing. But, um, you know, Daddy is a race driver and he does need to, to continue to race for what he does. Um, but, yeah, he, he's elected not to do the super speedways like the Indy 500, but he will be doing a fair bit of the year. Mm. So um, that's exciting for yeah. for IndyCar to see him uh, to be on the grid there. Yeah, and it is, and it is um, understandable given that, you know, the, the overall tracks do tend to carry a, a higher level of risk. Um, that's when we typically see the, the spectacular crashes and the highlight reels from NASCAR and IndyCar. So um, it's understandable that, yeah, for someone who has, you know, obviously faced um, the type of accident he has, um, that he might not, you know, that seems quite reasonable of a decision uh, from him to, to not opt for that. But, um, okay. Let's go into to our regular news, our smaller stories. Um, so this week, uh, BMW have unveiled 
another set of price rises. This marks the third one um, that has happened recently. Uh, these particular prices have gone up. So the one, two series Grand Coupe, three series have been raised by $1,000. And then the five series X3, X4, and X6 have been given a price hike of $2,000. Um, and then there's a further... Um, you know, a couple of price hikes and or, or things that have been accepted, I should say, um, include the 530 diesel, the X3M and the X4M. Um, so this is this is pretty interesting, um, particularly when they're, you know, they're posting record sales at the moment. Do you, do you think this is a, a, a play at going, well, how high can we force these prices before people balk at the price or, no, or I what, think what's, what's I the think, motivation I think here? it's more that, like it says, uh, you know, in their, in their official comments is that they're basically, you know, inflation and cost of materials has gone up. You know, having worked in an industry where you're dealing with supplies coming from another country, there are times where as long as you can, you as a as a wholesaler will hold your price as much as you can, um, dealing with fluctuations in currency and suppliers and stuff like that, as long as you can before you have to be forced to put the price up. So um, BMW tried to obviously be, you know, progressive on the pricing, but at the end of the day, you have to be able to still make money. So you're kind of forced to put, put your price up. So, yeah. No one ever likes to see a price rise, but you know they would have held off as long as they could before they financially had to make that decision. Yeah, it's just um, you know, and all brands are not immune um, from that. And um, yeah, so some of them include yeah a six thousand dollar price rise, with the smallest increase being nine hundred and ten dollars for the one series and two series. Um, yeah, so. <laughs> This is a, it's it's still, you know, you're talking a, a big, big hike for some of them, um, and some of them including like the 330e, um, an 80, you know, up two thousand dollars. I assume that most of it you probably will be able to claw back when you negotiate on price um, to a certain degree. But yeah, it it um it's another challenge, and um, but obviously you know the growth in our economy has been a little bit um, optimistic at the moment, so perhaps it it won't be as um won't be as detrimental to the bottom line, um, particularly when interest rates are so low at the moment. But in terms of uh, good positive growth, Volvo, um, it's a it's a well-loved brand by a lot of people and um, it seems to have had a great start to 2021 by doubling their number of cars sold uh, compared to January last year. Um, and it shows obviously follows on from their last month result from December 2020 where they increased their sales by 34%. So it's great to see that um, a brand like this where they're building fantastic cars and some very good looking cars um, and enjoyable cars like the XC40 uh, plug-in um, which I enjoyed very much when we when we had that. Um, but yeah, this is this is great to see for a, for a, you know, a smaller and I, and I use the term smaller fairly loosely, but a, a lower volume maker um, that's here in Australia. Yeah, it's good to see them doing well. Um, the local Volvo, Volvo dealership uh, near home here has just expanded massively and taken over a previously another brand site after they've moved on and expanded. But yeah, it's good to see them now having a really strong presence across the board, and they've got a really good, really good lineup. So I'm not surprised that they've achieved, you know, such a strong start um, because of you know across the board of what they've got now. Yeah, absolutely, and. 
you know, I always, particularly um, some of their station wagons are just so good looking at the moment. And I'm, I'm really glad that people are, you know, uh, are exploring outside of the, the core key brands, particularly in the luxury market where it's typically always Audi, BMW, Mercedes, um, even though there is a lot of choice outside of that. Um, leading into... Uh, you know, what's coming later on in the year. I'm really liking um, what we've had a, a bit of a tease and the Nissan Qashqai will be uh, revealed later this year, but we've um, we've seen some nice teaser images um, ahead of the reveal. Um, so the Qashqai has been a little bit overdue for an update for its next generation vehicle, but it seems like we're going to be getting a similar to like what we saw in the Nissan Rogue or what we call the X-Trail here, um, full digital dash, some, uh, you know, re- revamped, modernized front end. Um, and it looks, I don't know, it looks, looks quite sporty. It looks quite nice, particularly with those, those wheels and those, um, in the, in the heavily camouflaged vehicle they've got. Yeah, it is. It's one of those models, you know, along with the X-Trail, like you said, um, to get that upgrade. And, yeah, this new digital dash looks pretty good. And, yeah, yeah. the rear-end design, uh, I think, is, um, is you know, it is looking quite good. So it'll be exciting to see yeah. that. And, obviously, um, the X-Trail, when it lands, I think that'll be they'll be very mm. big sellers for... Um, yeah. Uh, for Nissan once they uh, they hit here because the previous gen models um, were you know absolutely brilliant the the, the, the current gen Qashqai has been a, a really really nice model and and so is the um, the X Trail but the one thing I can't understand about X Trail is why they still have a foot park brake um, with electric <laughs> yeah. and everything else that's out that's there right. so. Um, but yeah, well, it looks like in in this teaser. So they show a lot of the interior. Um, so it does have uh, it does look quite premium, um, and it does have uh, an electric park brake. So hopefully that also will carry over to the X Trail once it gets its turn. Bose um, audio system, uh, perforated leather seats, which hints to me that it will have heated and cooling functionality. Um, but I'm a big sucker for the diamond stitch leather. Uh, I think that's really cool. And um, yeah. Uh, uh, even though it's, it is darkened around and sort of done in a way to, to be quite sneaky about the, the finer details. But overall, the, the full dash view that they show shows a nice big um, infotainment screen in the middle, fully digital dash, um, electronic climate control, and uh, a nice looking steering wheel. So for, for a cash car, I think that's pretty solid. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, and I think it's it's a much needed thing. We've, we've spoken about it a lot, um, and obviously we've got the 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 twenty twenty two Nissan Pathfinder, which has had a finally a a, a redesign, which has Probably been the longest uh, in their range. It's, it's I know. needed an update. <laughs> Long overdue. But what a change! Um, oh, huge! And so they they're really paying a lot of homage to um, the the nineteen eighties. Um, Pathfinder, so that's what they've taken as their inspiration for this new vehicle. But it looks great. It does look very American, um, as do all pretty much all of these large SUVs. Um, but it, it from the front end, if you've seen a Palisade, the new Hyundai Palisade, it looks a little bit like that, um, crossed over with a with a an enlarged version of I would say a, a Range Rover Evoque. Um, but I kind of like it. I like the overall design. I think it, it modernizes um, this vehicle that, yeah, has been very much overdue for a refresh a lot. And um, yeah, I find it very, very promising. 
Yeah, it's good. It's a really nice design. It's very much that corporate look now with this, um, I would kind of say, a, a stretched U-shaped grill uh, on yes. it. Um, and it sits nicely um, in there. And the big pictures of the, the red one that they've shown from overseas with the black grill, uh, it actually looks quite nice. So I'm excited for this to uh, to land here in here in Oz. Um, and I think it'll be... It's interesting you're looking at those... Uh, those tail lights on on the model it's very similar to the sort of the the, the long um stretch light design similar to the current carnival and stuff as well yes. so yeah it seems to be a very common occurrence but it's got a little bit of very much like in that rear um sort of c-pillar design it's got a very much of an american feel from um i think it's possibly sort of bronco-ish um you know mm. you kind of feel like that that rear glass panel could almost come off um, yeah. the way that it's designed but yeah the the new lights and everything else it looks uh, it looks good so I'm very intrigued to see you know when it's coming to Oz um, pricing of where it'll sit um, and obviously what spec levels we're going to get as well yeah, I think it, it will probably mirror very closely. I, I think uh, to the Hyundai Palisade, I think that's probably going to be their their target there. Um, but yeah, uh, I think the the design design looks great. Um, so Lexus ISF, LSF, LCF, um, all of their performance models. We're expecting um, a fairly sizable update to come in November. Um, basically, giving you know, F performance a boost with three new V8 models. Now the LC500 was an absolute beast of a thing to drive, particularly in the V8. I can't imagine how um, you know how much further they'll take it in an LCF. Um, but yeah, we're talking up to 493 kilowatts of power um, in the. Obviously, I'm expecting in the in the LCF. But um, but yeah, things such as 350 kilowatts of power in the GSF. Um, yeah, this is. Uh, I'm, I'm liking these performance models. Yeah, it's exciting, and, and the rumor that there might be um, uh, an ISF again, I think, is pretty yes. cool for for fans of the brand. Obviously, now that we've lost the the GSF, uh, I think it's quite cool. And then there was also, um, you know, the fact that they're going to have um, more F based um, models. Uh, I think is uh, is pretty cool. Particularly, uh, I think there's a lot of people excited about a, an LCF. Um, in particular, yeah. I think that you know they have done. Even though it's F- going to be a very small, very small market for it, but mm. I think it's a, uh, you know, it's a, it's an exciting car nonetheless. Oh, very much so. Yeah, so it's um it's interesting reading these comments on this uh, on the article that we've got linked. Um, one person said just rang the local Lexus dealer to register their interest and put a deposit down for a 2021 ISF, um, but told that they weren't able to at the moment. Um, but reading through some of these, there's a lot of lot of excitement um, around, particularly the ISF return. Yeah. Um, particularly with that uh with that V8. So. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's funny for a brand that's so heavy in uh, in hybrid models. We just talked about you know the sales milestone for hybrid models that they still you know can can bring the excitement with uh, you know with these V eight V eight cars. Yeah, exactly. And Lexus have done that with that excitement, like you say, with the with with that F Sport model over the years in different levels. Um, but yeah, the fact that they're putting more emphasis in it, I think, is is great for the brand. 
Yeah, absolutely. And um, one one brand that isn't putting more emphasis in it is um, is Honda. They're ending the the run of uh, the NSX in Australia as they close the order books. Um, obviously, there's basically last year there were no buyers for the NSX, and um, they were sold um, just nine units since it introducing in 2016. Um, Basically, it was a special order vehicle anyway, um, so it wasn't like they were carrying stock here in Australia. But um, yeah, it was a quite a quite an expensive car with a with a four hundred twenty thousand dollar price tag. Um, but I find that this is possibly going to be a car that's going to be quite collectible given how few were sold here um and probably in 10 15 years people go oh this was actually a pretty good car and uh we can't find one anymore yeah considering there's not that many of them uh it's quite interesting yeah, it's, it's kind of funny, a car like this um, surely carried a, a hefty price tag, but it's certainly an exclusive vehicle in Australia at the moment, so it's uh, unlike a lot of other limited-run cars. Uh, but running through, so we've got a couple of recalls, and um, we're just going to run through them. Um, so 2011 to 2013 Jeep Grand Cherokee models have been recalled uh, for a fuel pump fault, uh, so you should be contacted by your dealer uh, to arrange a time to come into that, but if not, um, you can always touch base with them first and um, to double check if you are part of that recall. Uh, The 2014 to 2020 Hyundai Tucson has also been recalled. So 93,000 vehicles have been recalled for a supposed fire risk um, with the certain electronics board um, could short circuit and create and creating that fire risk. So again, um, get in contact with your your dealer um, and uh, they'll be able to advise the pathway to get that result for you. In terms of new NCAP ratings, so the MG ZS EV, which I've been driving this week, uh, received its five-star rating. And um, so that's obviously a, a good result for for MG, another, another feather in its cap um, for a good result. And um, yeah, that's uh, it's kind of exactly what we're expecting these um, these days, anyway, um, from from new models that are coming onto the market. Yeah, you would not expect anything that's that's coming onto the market these days to really be anything less than um, than five stars. No. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, so it it scored a ninety percent out of occupant protection, child occupant protection at eighty four percent, vulnerable road user protection at sixty four percent, and safety assist at seventy one percent. So safety assist is um, the included. Um, electronic safety system so it doesn't have automatic um, emergency braking for junctions or um, back over but it does have your city into urban VRU and LSS collision avoidance systems um, so yeah but still enough to, to achieve the, the five star uh, rating here in our systems bring a trailer ah, so what um, how, did we, how did we go last week so your um, MG PB sold for $51,770 and my Chevy Corvette ZR1 sold for $77,000. Gee, that's a a pretty healthy number. (laughs) Yeah, it is Uh, for for what it is. um, It's interesting. I've been having a conversation on Twitter today with a bunch of journalists from the US um, and we've been talking about stuff and uh, the general consensus amongst most of those was we'd much prefer to take uh, one of these... um, C7 series um, 
uh, Corvettes over a uh, current g- generation C8. <laughs> Most of the yeah, guys, you know, yeah. it's just there's just something about these models, um, really. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's something so unique about them, and just the design was right, and the fact that it's still front engine with the now one being mid, it's just kind of lost that, um, you know, that kind of that kind of feel. So yeah, interesting. Uh, um, yeah, so this was a this is a C six the one I'm referring to, but yeah, uh, the one that was on drink bring a trailer, and even even so, I think the C six is still even prettier than the the C seven. I think that you know the 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 model has lost its way a little bit. It is a little bit different mm-hmm. um, with the, the C seven, but I think the C eight again is just not just not as pretty as this model. I mean, this is black, so it is doesn't show. Yeah. The line's probably a little bit different to something in a different color. But, you know, there's just something about that Z01 um, model and, you know, the, the cool f- fact that it's got the, the glass panel in the bonnet so mm. you can see through to the engine and the supercharged yeah. engine. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's quite interesting. So did you find something this week, Ash? Uh, yes, I did. I um, This is a bit of a classic thing. I, I normally... Don't go um, with uh, with Mercedes. There's only a small handful of vehicles that I'm a huge Mercedes fan of, and this is one of them. It's a 1990 Mercedes Benz 190E Evolution 2. Um, so this uh, is that was the one that was up last week, but uh, it's obviously still there this week. I noticed it yeah. was the first on the page when I looked today. Yeah, so it's currently at the $100,000 bid. It finishes in two days, but this is a pretty iconic vehicle for for Mercedes. It obviously comes in, um, you know, this has got quite a lot of kilometers on it. It's 236,000 kilometers on it. Um, It's number 19 of 502 produced, and um, it looks very, very tidy for the number of kilometers that it's got on it. Um, Even down to the interior, it looks like it's in fantastic uh, condition um, for what it is. It's... um, yeah, it's still got all its paperwork, its servicing. Um, yeah, it's just a, a brilliant-looking car and uh, very well looked after. Even uh, in the photos, they're walking around and showing the depth of the paint as well. Um, so obviously, it's been sold by someone who's very, very knowledgeable of what these sorts of um, uh, people are. You know, these sorts of buyers are, are looking for in a, in a car like this. Um, but how did you go? What'd you what'd you find? So yeah, I had a bit of a look through, but um, I'm a sucker for these at the moment because there I yeah. found a I, I still have to go and find which group it was, but there was something on Facebook a while back, a bunch of these guys that uh, had these, but it's a um, 2008 Porsche Cayenne, uh, so the V8 powered, but it's been yes. listed. Um, it's on steelies with off-road tires, and oh, right. it looks sensational. Wow! Um, on the back, it's got a obviously a spare tire on steelies with, you know, the off-road rubber, a spare jerry yeah. can, obviously of probably I'm guessing if juice because it's obviously a V8, it's obviously going to suck through it. Um, but yeah, I'm a I'm a sucker for these things. I absolutely love these. Um, uh, these cars and you know they've been a fan of them ever since Porsche did that Trans-Siberia event years ago and, yeah. and it's good to see that yeah. people are actually going out and making these mods and there was a group somewhere on Facebook that I saw that there's a bunch of guys in, in uh, the states that, that go religiously off-road with these and Tuaregs um, and you know they're treating them like they're they're supposed to you know they're they're lifted um, they've got proper rubber on them um, this thing's on 20 inch wheels with 33 inch tires with a two and a half um, inch suspension 
uh, lift on it. Um, its current bid is 20000 and it finishes in two days. So uh, it should be very interesting to watch. Uh, I'd, I'd love something like that. Whenever someone builds this, they normally do it with great attention to detail as mm. well. It looks in pretty good nick, like the, the, the black thing. <sighs> Uh, it's in black, but the paintwork, it looks like it's in pretty good nick. So, yeah, uh, quite interesting uh, for that. So, yeah. And, and kudos to someone going out and building something like this. Is yeah. I'm sure there's not a lot of aftermarket stuff available to do it either. So, a um, bit of effort has uh, has gone into that. But, yeah, um, but I love it. Love to see what these uh, these sell for in a, in a couple of days' time. We'll, uh, we'll come back to it next week. Yeah, exactly. All right, so a couple of international items. So the 2021 Porsche 911 GT3 has been teased. Um, obviously, uh, if you if you follow um, Chris Harris, he got a, a bit of a sneak peek um, in a in a Top Gear video not too long ago, and um, yeah, but. I don't know in this in this blue color, and um, there's a bit of a leak through the infotainment system as well um, of it being fully unveiled. But man, does it look aggressive, um, particularly with that rear rear wing that looks like it's coming out of the the side of the the rear glass panel. Yeah, it's uh, interesting to see. It's always the excitement around a new um, GT3 Porsche. It actually looks a lot longer in the body as well. Um, that design yeah it certainly kind does of, kind of a bit stretched but um, yeah the front end uh, is definitely very race car-ish look um, but yeah it's uh, it's going to be an interesting thing to to see when it is unveiled but um, yeah lucky Chris yeah. Harris getting an early look at it <laughs> that's right so the new GT3 uses a 4 litre flat 6 engine um, with its you know uh, fairly iconic rev to 9,000 RPM with uh, over 510 horsepower. Uh, being a GT3 and a non-RS model, it will be offered in manual and uh, Porsche's PDK transmission. So if you're a purist, purist, this is the car to go for. Um, otherwise, if you're wanting to wait for the more hardcore version, you will have only the automatic PDK to choose from um, just because of the types of driving experiences and performance that's expected out of each of the cars but um man imagine trying to wrestle a car like this in a full manual gearbox yeah exactly uh and uh wrestling well this next vehicle is just insane no matter which way you look at it um so we know all about the mercedes g63 6x6 and all that kind of jazz but um they haven't met the uh, basically the bulletproof six by six powered by thirteen hundred brake horsepower, um, but it's the Resvani Hercules six by six. So, man, doesn't this it, it, it takes a you know makes a, the Mercedes six by six look small? Basically, um, it's got twice the power. And um, and twice, and not only with the G sixty three, but also the 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 Hennessy Velociraptor as well. Um, but yeah, this is this is pretty amazing, and it uses a tuned Dodge Demon engine. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I saw a Reservani when I was in the States in twenty seventeen, and they're a cool looking thing. Um, but the fact that someone's taken it and turned it into a six by six is just, yeah. yeah, just next level, really. Well, best of all, it's um, it starts at two hundred twenty five thousand US dollars, um, but 
if you want to to go all the way through to you know the crazy bulletproof 1300 horsepower um you can uh that is all optional so you'll be careening along to a half a million dollars pretty easily um and uh, you can jump on and play around with their online configurator to to see what your vehicle <laughs> would be drink. like. So, yeah, it might be uh might be worthwhile jumping on and, and playing with that. We'll have the link in the uh, in the disc in the in the show notes for you. Um, but yeah, this okay. So this next one, this is a bit of fun uh, for this week. But uh, so Justin Bieber. Um, has rolled out in has been seen recently and then a, a fellow car spotter has has stumbled across the vehicle um parked up on the street but justin bieber has taken a rolls royce wraith um their big coupe and turned it into a, a high you know this funky looking car which ultimately looks a bit like the the rolls royce vision concept car um but just in a in a road going version um from some angles, I love it. From others, uh, not so much. What are you, what are your thoughts? He's got to be banned from playing with cars. That's all I can say. <laughs> okay. Stick to music, Justin. You have, you, every car you touch as he just destroys. So yeah. Um, look, this isn't you know it's interesting, but the colours don't match the bodywork. Yeah, on the I'm side, not a fan of the colours. It, it just looks like it's stuck on the side. You know, it just yeah, I don't know. Um, Rolls Royce's concept was so much better. So yeah. Yeah, but I do I do find it interesting if uh you know, and there's certainly no shortage of uh wacky custom cars getting around and uh, certainly people like Will I Am have um you know made headlines well, around the uh, same sentence as West Coast Customs, you know where uh yes. come from. Yeah. But look, you know, it's uh this is you know, it is the place where if people want to build it, at least they at least they can, even though I probably wouldn't be dropping uh you know, if I was to do that here, it'd be a million dollars to buy the car and probably another I don't know, what do you what do you think? An extra couple hundred thousand to, oh, to get this least. done? Yeah. Cause it, it's not just your typical rebody. This is a I don't know, it's a bit of a weird, weird hybrid sort of approach. Um, and going for fully enclosed wheels, it, I guess you'll never get a, a tire clamp attached to the vehicle going that route. You're going to struggle. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So maybe maybe you should park a double park someone and see how, you know, how the city <laughs> council goes and, and handles that. <laughs> But no, very very interesting card. Uh, we've we've got the link in um, in the show notes again to check out it and let us know what you think. Um, yeah, be curious to to see. Um, yeah, what 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 you guys, our listeners, are, are thinking on that one. Um, but okay, so that's basically all the news. It was a bit of a, a, a quite a week this week. Um, it's it's all the calm before the storm. Um, as we start to head into the, the next quarter, um, we have a lot of cars arriving as well as the, the racing seasons um, kick up. We've got a lot of the, over the next month or so, we'll have all of the Formula One teams um, showing off their new liveries um, with... Uh, you know, and it also hopefully at some point we'll we'll get confirmation that Lewis Hamilton has signed his contract because um, we still haven't got that. I reckon it's um, getting closer. The stories you read on a daily basis is it's getting closer. Uh, it will yeah. happen. Um, and apparently the max clause has been put in, um, and that's probably one of the, the stepping 
well, the one of the, 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 the stopping blocks that was, um, and now that that's been put in, which means the max clause effectively means that um, Hamilton has say over who his teammate will be. Yeah, um, yeah. And now that that's kind of been sorted, then, yeah, I think it'll probably be uh, fairly soon it'll be all sorted. Yeah, and um, I'm really looking forward to the Aston Martin reveal. I think um, we know that it's going to be back to that British racing green. Um, and even in the uh, desaturated photo they showed of uh, Sebastian Vettel sitting in the car, obviously getting his seat tested and things like that, um, it, it kind of looks like the, the, the foam headrest uh, that clips in after the driver is in. It actually looked like it was, you know, like that brown tan leather look. Yeah. Um, okay. would, it, hey, look, I wouldn't be surprised if they um, they went down that route. That's a very smart move, you know, giving that oh, real beautiful. Good, nice look, uh, two tone. Um, you know, I think it'll be very interesting. Yeah, and um, obviously going back to that classic, you know, hand built, um, heavily you know, specialized in, in classic sports car brands. Um, yeah, it'd be a masterstroke if they come out with a livery yeah. that is just classic, you know, classic Aston Martin, but also being modern Formula One. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm super looking and forward to it. And giving touch on it, really. Absolutely. Um, I'm excited to, to see more of Daniel Ricciardo in the McLaren. Um, yeah, there's a lot to look forward to this season. Um, and we've had enough of uh, enough excitement in the changes within, you know, personnel and the teams and, um, you know, new things emerging from the teams with uh, people and things that, like that um, to make this season. What could have been very well, pretty boring, um, it should be should be quite a bit of fun this this year. Yeah, it should be interesting to watch as long as we get a full season. We don't get too right. many stop starts. Um, the red the other day is we could be seeing a, a couple of double headers maybe with current restrictions and stuff around the world. Um, but yeah, who knows what we'll see. But as long as we get a another season, I think that's uh, that's the, the important thing. Absolutely. So anything uh, anything exciting for you this week? Uh, yeah, I'm heading off on a couple of days um, assisting another photographer on a shoot um, for a couple of days. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, looking forward to, to that. Um, and, yeah, so that should be uh, quite fun. Um, what are you driving this week? When does the MG go back? Yeah, so it goes back uh, on Monday and um, we'll be picking up the, the i30 sedan Elite. Ah, nice. Um, what yeah, color so, do you know? No, I don't. Okay. It's um with uh with Hyundai's it's typically I I don't get told the color, I get okay. told everything else <laughs> but the color. So it's uh but I haven't it's, seen I haven't I haven't seen these ones floating around in the in the 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 pickup area yet. So um yeah. They're a good uh, looking car. I've uh, I've I did some stuff for a dealership here in Victoria that had one, but theirs was black, so it was a bit harder to see okay. the, the cool lines that it that it has, but I did see one yeah. today at the supermarket in blue. Um, in that you know that that darker blue that I think they launched it in. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, there uh, I'll be very keen to hear what you think. Um, yeah. A friend of mine's just had like obviously call it the Sonata in the states, but he's just had one in silver um, over there and was in, it's just raving about it. So um, apparently the fuel economy is very good for that spec in the states. So I'll be interested to see um, how you go with the one that you've got here. Yeah, I'm very looking forward to it, and um, we'll be jumping across a number of the different models over the next few weeks, so yeah, uh, nice. we'll be able to see how that goes. But 
Uh, thanks, thanks for joining us. Um, for for everybody listening at home, um, don't forget to to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't. You can find us on any of your favorite podcasting apps. Uh, rate and view us if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts. Um, make sure you follow Joel at Joel Strick Photo, and uh, you can follow us for everything else at Daily Autofix. Uh, thanks very much, and uh, hope you have a good week. Thank you, Joel. No worries, Ash. All right, and we'll see you all next time. Speak to you next week. Bye. Thank you.